a reading from Partisans. Often in old photographs from artist colonies or literary conferences, you would see a caption something like, bottom row left, unidentified man. What is it to become a mystery in an old photograph, or not even as much as a mystery? Only this, maybe, to be dematerialized into the holy privacy of one's day-to-day -day labors. To let the indescribable, unshareable process swallow you up. What is fame? What is posterity compared to the secret, irrevocable glory of having had one's work? Or do I write such things merely because I suspect that I, by no choice of my own, am bound to disappear? Quote, I am very cold without fire or covering. The robin is singing gloriously, but though its red breast is beautiful, I am all alone. O oh God, be gracious to my soul and grant me a better handwriting. Unquote. Anonymous scribe, medieval Ireland. Yesterday, while crossing the park, I passed a man with jowls as loose and pendulous as a winded dog's. At first he looked unremarkable beyond his slightly disheveled jacket and shirt, but as he came closer I saw the white beaded strings of slaver swaying from his unfurled bottom lip. He brushed past me with a glazed stare at the grass, a stare that might, to someone not looking closely, appear pensive. And then on the sidewalk, the brawny balding man, flat on his back and unconscious, he lay in front of the iron gates to that bright yellow house that always reminds me of a guidebook photo. The man was not sidled up to the building or the gate like most of them, but sprawled across the pavement in a bodily X, as if fallen from some unthinkable height. I actually looked up. It was raining. Did I say that yet? The rain fell on his face, his clothes, his outflung hands, and he didn't move. The crooked man, too, he was at the corner, his upper body wildly disfigured to the shape of a crescent moon, he was in the rain, coatless, pacing. He kept turning and turning on mincing feet, two steps this way, two that way. He looked confused and was clearly in agony. Every little motion cost him dearly. His pain ensnared him, but he kept changing direction as if thinking he'd found an escape, and then remembering there was none. They are everywhere, of course, once you go out. Whomever is healthy and protected stays indoors. But the sidewalks teem with them, these figures forgotten by the network. Of course, earthly and civic disrepair are unimportant, for technology, if it does not soon enough enable the stabilization of environments, oxygenized, climate-proof structures, etc., will deliver us to a new planet and fresh futurity. We have become a people for whom field means a white space on a screen awaiting input of data. Quote, the political awareness that is not aware, the social consciousness which hates full consciousness, the moral earnestness which is moral luxury. Unquote. Trilling. Editor's note, Trilling 
Reference unknown. An aristocrat in the Republic of Venice was subject to rules so rigid that even his clothing was prescribed. When moneyless nobles took to the streets to beg, they would do so in silken raiment. The way a limp is a story. The strange, lovely way in which, at a wedding, the bride is everybody's bride. The collective wish to protect and cherish her. The vulnerability of the white dress. The way a girl's shoulders will fall when trying to remember a word and failing. Bats under the bridge. To be above a creature flying, to look down at the working wings instead of up, and remember how partial, how piecemeal is one's grasp of the world. The mystery of water burbling from Parisian, Roman, or Turkish taps. Out of what ancient municipal cisterns, carrying what nourishing and putrefying history. I've reached an impasse with the partisan. Temporary, I hope. Still, the longer I sit with them, the pages acquire secrets. A good thing. You work for this always. You want the pages to know more than you do. That way they can lead you. The struggle for control, the doubt about a thing's direction, the sense of manipulating the material, all that awkwardness goes away. You are free because the work is free. You merely give yourself up to its pull. Your task is to listen and let go. I am on the brink of this. The important thing now is to wait to wait in the most active possible way, to remain in attendance, to keep myself available. Quote, being inactive with confidence, Rilke called this. Editor's note, Rilke, unknown personage. There is no state of abiding purity, only the workman's pure concern. No quality of arrival, only the labor of arriving at. No reposing in the spirit of a thing, only inspired tenacity, a vision for climbing toward, clawing after, catching on to. Quote, should come as naturally as leaves to a tree, or it shouldn't come at all, unquote. How impoverished literature would be, how damned and troubled every poor scribbler, if we took such an edict to heart. Editor's note, should come as naturally. Lead seems to be quoting a literary voice, reference unknown. A sort of beautiful sacrifice to a noble mistake. I discovered this phrase today in Henry James, a reference to the career of a third-rate sculptor he knew. What a sentiment. From time to time, one will of course ask of oneself, do I waste my life? But beauty nobility, sacrifice, may these be the overriding qualities. Editor's note, Henry James, American author born sometime in the mid-19th century. Most of his corpus, though it may still be found with moderate ease, goes unread. A note today from Kasdan. He has secured a space and is busy setting up shop. I must pay him a visit.
night before last, no, three nights ago, dreamt I'd gone to an artist colony. The place was crawling with grizzly bears, strange because the setting was garden-like. But every walk outside meant a possible encounter, the dread of imminent peril. There were many confusing paths, a great lake, and one was always marooned on the far side, late for the communal dinner with a view of the main house across the water, its dining-room window aglow. There was a vast parking lot, and you walked in confusion amid a sea of cars. You were always hungry and had to sneak food from the kitchen, but kept getting caught by your fellow artists who sneered and harangued. Very soon after awaking and recalling that dream, I remembered the childhood mystery of nights in the quiet hours before sleep, a cheek to the pillow, and the peculiar measured crunch of marching feet. Imagined militiamen tromping up and down the hall just beyond the bedroom door. Only well into adulthood, thinking back to these early, vivid, sleep-heavy impressions, did I ever come to the logical conclusion it was always my pulse I heard, falling asleep, soothed and confused, to the march of my own heart. How little has changed. Editor's Note Almost nothing is known of Leeds' childhood. This entry is one of a mere handful that vaguely allude to that period of his life. I may sublimate my discontents, but this sitting alone in a room this being damned to one's papers and desk, this never-ending crawl toward a light that shines nowhere but in one's mind, this condition of divorce from one's world and fellow men, this, when I am calm and quiet and wholly in the groove, is a condition I embrace happily and naturally. When I am in it, I know, then I know beyond the doubt bitterness, loneliness, and privation of my other moments, that this is life to me, and that only in this way can I ever hope to be a member of the greater world and brother to its women and men. Editor's Note The above was one of the first of Leeds' entries to be uploaded by Market Optimization Bureau agents, and with the writings that followed there was little difficulty proving him in breach of the Program for Economic and Objective Purity in Literary Enterprise. People, P-E-O-P-L-E.